and welcome to Purposeful Empathy, a show dedicated to conversations with people who want to grow and spread empathy throughout the world. So welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy, the last episode of 2020, and don't we all want to have this year in the rearview mirror. Today I'm joined by the fabulous Dr. Morella de Civita. Welcome so much to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I just expressed how excited I am to be here. (laughs) Wonderful. So we have so much to cover, but I want everyone who's listening and watching to get a sense of who you are and why I believe you basically walk on water. So you are the president of Papillon MDC Incorporated, which is a management consulting firm that offers leadership development services to executives and their teams. You're also the founder of Grand Huron International Incorporated, which is an on-demand coaching firm. You hold a PhD in psychology, a postdoc fellowship in behavioral medicine. There's more. You're a licensed <laughs> clinical psychologist, a professional certified coach, a master corporate executive coach, and even a certified mentor coach. So I think you know what you're talking about when it comes to people's psychology, what motivates us, what stresses us out, and how that plays out in organizations and within leadership. So thanks again for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So I guess the place to start, no surprise, is COVID. Um, Mm. It's been a tough year for everyone Mm -hmm. and tough in so many different ways. I wonder, given your background and given your expertise, if you might say a few words about how you think COVID is impacting us in ways that we're not really talking about enough. Right. Um, There are so many ways to really get at the core of what's going on for all of us. Uh, We mustn't forget that right before COVID, um, pre-COVID, all of us, all of us were wired to do great things. We were thinking about how we're going to succeed with our teams. We were thinking about our KPIs. We were also thinking about family vacation. We were getting ourselves all ready to do many things. And Next thing you know, we were all told we have to shift. We have to shift the way we do things, the way we go about our work, the way we even go about organizing our family life. And then all of a sudden, the way in which we were programmed ourselves to succeed, that too came to a halt. Now we had to start talking about, well, how do we get ourselves organized to get back up and running? And what we all didn't really recognize that in our brain, that center that is referred to as the incentive resource that drive center had been working so hard to get us up and running so that we can get back to the work that we enjoy, that we weren't paying attention that at the same time, there was another group of brain areas that we refer to as the threat detection system that was sounding out the alarm. The alarm in the sense that this is real, things are not gonna be the same. How am I going to interact with my team? How am I gonna interact with my family? And so now we've got these two systems constantly alerting us that we're not going to do the same things that we used to do. And we're going to have to start worrying about things that we didn't have to worry about before. And we all felt it. We all knew there was something that didn't just feel right. We weren't working the same way. A lot of us complained about our productivity. A lot of us complained about feeling a sense of overwhelmingness. We talked about not meeting our KPIs. We talked about how our teams had to shift. We even talked about, and when I say we talked about, all of us, I'm sure, had this type of conversation. 
but we didn't put our finger on the one thing that has suffered the most, and that is our emotional state. We were so busy getting everything organized, so busy about how we're going to manage to succeed in much the same way. How's my family going to manage to do the things that they do? But we didn't realize that underneath all of this, we were all suffering. And our minds, interestingly enough, all of a sudden, it developed a new habit, distraction. So here we were being distracted that we obviously experienced prior to the COVID, but now it has taken on such a great amount of space in our lives. And we know that when a mind wanders, a mind suffers. No one's talking about that. No one's talking about, you know, lurking right below everyone. And obviously it's, it's visible for some of us that we are suffering. We're suffering emotionally. We are also suffering in other ways. There's a sense of loss for most people sense of frustration and anger and no one is addressing this even in team meetings when I work with leaders they talk to me about you know increasing productivity they talk to me about increasing alignment all the great skills that they may have had but they're not talking about the one thing that is actually quite obvious but no one wants to speak about it first no one wants to bring it to the attention of someone else Right. So it sounds to me like, okay, so we kind of know it's taking a toll on everyone, but we're not really giving it the gravitas that it deserves, that it's like a chronic higher state of anxiety and fear. And, and then because the way that we um, react to that and how we manage that is we distract ourselves. So all sorts of like things are happening where right. we're kind of feeling a sense of lost control and it sounds terrible and it's pervasive, right? So yes. in response to that, I know you speak a lot about sort of like a personal agency or a sense of, you know, degree of choice that people have in the matter. Could you speak to like how that could be a little light at the end of the tunnel if we learn more about it? Right. So it, indeed that's what's going on. Exactly how you explain it. The sense of, you know, uh, uncertainty and how we're, we are convincing ourselves that we really don't have a choice. So we really don't have much to say about many things. And what's really critical here is that the more we tell ourselves we don't have much of a choice, we don't have much to say in here, we also stimulate just through our own self-talk, this threat detection system. And, and we know now that when the threat detection system is triggered, it, you know, it does a great job as well as sending throughout our entire body neurotransmitters that says, danger, danger, it also taps into the prefrontal cortex. And under normal circumstances, the prefrontal cortex would do its right job. It would get us to reason, it would get us to slow down, take a hold of our emotions. But when this system that is up and constant, constant stress, even the prefrontal cortex is so tired, it's not thinking straight. And what's really critical here is that no matter the level of stress people are experiencing, the important thing is, is to notice it, to acknowledge it, and then to be able to say, do I buy into that? Do I buy into that thought? And that is a choice that we all have. Now I get it. Sometimes it goes so fast because it is true. This, you know, the amygdala that stimulates the hypothalamus, that stimulates the pituitary, it goes so fast that before long, we just feel the rush and this yucky feeling that we all recognize to be anxiety. It happens. It just happens. But even in that moment, if you catch it, in other words, you acknowledge it, you then get a chance to say, okay, do I now go for the full ride? Because I know what, that, what that's going to sound like. It's probably going to send me to bed. It's probably going to have me not show up for my team meeting. And, and that takes time. You know, what's, what's really critical here is that people have to start recognizing what happens to them, slow down, 
take note of how things move for them. And once they get a sense of how things move for them, they will be better at catching it and then making that choice. Because choice is the last human freedom to go. And I think that during the pandemic, we're all sensing that we don't have these choices. The reality is we do have these choices. And if I may use just an example, when I, during my postdoc, my entire studies was in idiopathic arthritis in children. So this was juvenile idiopathic arthritis. And these were children that had to do physical exercise. They just had to. It was for their own physical well-being. Parents that succeeded were parents that would look at their child that said, I can't, I can't, I can't. After all, I've got, you know, idiopathic arthritis. I just can't. The parents that succeeded would say, well, maybe you can't do 90 degrees. I'm positive you can do 10 degrees. Just do that little shift. And so the child that would still say, I can't, the mom would say, it's a choice you're making. We actually used to hear this kind of conversation. And then the child would say, well, you mean I could? The mom says, well, let's see, let's try. And so the child would do the 10 degree flex. And next thing you know, 10, 20 and so forth. It's the same thing here. We are all suffering. As I mentioned, there's suffering that is physical, suffering that is more emotionally based. And then there's suffering that is all cognitively based, where we tell ourselves these crazy stories about how everything is going to come to an end and how we are no good and so forth. So catch it. Make the choice. Do I buy into that today? All I ask is that you choose today. And maybe today you're not going to buy into it. And then practice noticing what can you do next. And it takes time. But just like that young child with idiopathic arthritis was able to flex just 10 degrees, the next day, maybe you'll be able to make another choice. And maybe not. Maybe it'll take two more days. But everything comes with practice. But there is choice. And people need to know that. So then as a follow-up, just quick follow-up, I'm also hearing that there's a benefit in doing things incrementally, like an incremental yes. shift. Is yes. that helpful? That's a, a, a paradigm? Correct. And so when I said before that, you know, distraction has now become a habit, like, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting here with you and I'm also recognizing that, you know, my head's telling me, um, oh, let's hope that you don't have your allergy attack right now, because if you do, you're going to be sneezing all over the place. So I'm noticing it in my head and I'm choosing, I'm not going to buy into it. I'm going to stay here in this present moment and whatever happens, happens, right? So that's a choice I'm making live here with you. So as you start to practice, it's those little tiny choices that you're going to make every day that are going to build up to something that is going to feel different than the constant suffering you currently feel now. Well, it's so interesting because if you think of like a meta um, advice that's given to us in our life, right? It's like eat more green vegetables, right? Exercise more. And yet mm -hmm. one of the biggest lessons I think we could all learn is to pay attention to our thoughts and actually decide whether or not we want to believe them. And that's yes. what you're describing, right? Wouldn't that be helpful yes. if society got that? <laughs> it would be so helpful. But, you know, you and I also are part of the same um, humanity, the same um, ecosystem, where as much as we could have this knowledge, as much as we can, you know, literally digest and, and, and live with this knowledge, the actual practice of it is difficult because we still have the same architectural design. We do know, however, that intention to practice already starts to shift the brain. And what's really fascinating, the study I believe was done in 2010 by, I believe his name is Killing, Killingsworth. He looked at a wandering mind. And so they had data collected on people in time. So they did time lagged analysis. So which means that they were able to trace people exactly what are you doing 
What are you feeling and what are you thinking about? And what they discovered, unbeknownst to the researchers, and quite frankly, I too was quite surprised, is that the activities that people were engaging in did not predict their happiness or lack thereof. It was actually what they were thinking about. So their thoughts predicted whether they were happy or not, regardless of the activity. And, and so that was interesting. So wherever the mind went, if it went to a happy place, regardless of what people were doing, they felt happy. If the mind wandered and went to an unhappy place, regardless of whether they were with their children and with their spouses, with everyone that's important to them, they said that they weren't happy. So to me, that's, that, is, that was such a, a, a moment, a aha moment, because how little attention we pay to where our mind wanders. And as I said, if distraction has now become a habit, how do we choose not to continue to nurture or water that habit? We have to pay attention to where our attention goes. Right. And the media, you know, when it bleeds, it leads. And social media is, you know, we're all doom scrolling. So we're constantly in this headspace of like, what could go wrong? So let me ask this, you know, we're coming to a holiday break and hopefully some people will have a chance to do some R&R, but I'm thinking about leaders who are looking ahead to 2021 saying, okay, we're still going to live with COVID for a while. It's a new year. How can we do things differently to support our teams and allow them to thrive given these circumstances? Right. So we we go back to the, um, to the thinking that, Our teams need more alignment. Our teams need more communication. Our teams need greater clarity. Our teams need to be told over and over again what they should be doing. All of that is is great in practice. But when people are suffering and you have no clue what they're suffering about, when they are looking at you and smiling at the camera, but their minds are not with you, none of those great skills are going to help you. So if we really want to take the practice of helping people make choices, because once they make choices, there's agency. Once there is agency, well, then it kicks into gear the, you know, the incentive resource center of their brain. And next thing you know, they're accomplishing great things. If we were to keep that a front and center, and we were to be mindful, then no matter what you choose to do as a leader, this individual in front of you and those individuals looking at you, they are also battling their own threats that come in so different, different shapes and sizes. So the way forward is to make it a practice as a group, as a team, to recognize by acknowledging people, where are they today, to recognize what is most meaningful to them today, to find a way to help them make what is most meaningful to them today, linked to one or two or three tasks that are important for this week. We have become a culture up until the pandemic of giving people more and more and more. And the more they accomplished, the more we gave. That's not going to work anymore. And and it may not work for a long time because there's a recovery process that needs to happen. However, if we help people acknowledge where are they at, what is most meaningful for them today? Let's take a look at your work. Let's see if we can find a link. So therefore, you get them to start thinking differently. You're not going to focus on the accomplishment at the end of the year. You're focusing on what's most important for you now this week. Let's find the link and then offer the support that is necessary. So that's more concrete. That's more business. Obviously, for the leaders that want to venture, it would be so critical. Just think about it. Everyone comes together and you all take five minutes of breathing. 
the, you know, the act of physical breathing actually has such beneficial effects on people. The act of asking, the weekends, you know, just about, just around the corner, um, what do you plan to do this weekend to bring yourself to a better place of mind? And the sharing that happens around people, that's another way in which leaders, those that are a little bit more courageous can move forward. And then finally, is to recognize that people need to come together in a buddy type system. So form those systems in your group and have people come together off work hours um, around activities that are meaningful to them and have them share. So, you know, it's interesting because we're going back to some of the tendencies that we know make us human, which is the sharing, which is the cultivating of a sense of belongingness and acknowledging that we are more than just thinking human beings. We actually feel and our feeling states impact how we think and our thinking states impact how we feel. This isn't a causality, it's a correlation. And I have a sense that leaders that are courageous enough to do these last three things are going to have a far more impactful year than those who choose to just stick to you know, good management skills, but those are not the skills that are gonna help you move forward. So what I'm hearing is that we need, so we're human beings, not human doings, and we need to bring the oh, human being that. to the meeting, right? I love that, I love it. Wonderful, so, yes. So yes. if there are critics out there that are saying, I don't have time, like there's too much going on. I can't start a meeting with like a little round the room, how's everybody oh, doing, yeah. touchy-feely yes. stuff. You're saying that is so short-sighted. You're saying you yes. must go around the room because that's yes. the only way you're going to get your people to work under these circumstances. Correct. And, you know, to those leaders out there, I say this. Who are you working with? You are not working with artificial intelligence in front of you. You are working with a human being that has the same architectural design brain as you do. And, and by the way, leaders that are thinking that way are leaders that are constantly distracted as well. Or leaders that are trying their best not to lean into their own issues and emotions and thoughts. So that is clear to me when I hear that type of speech. I go back to what I said, who is in front of you? The, not artificial intelligence that is looking at you and not thinking, not feeling. Great, don't do it. Watch what happens at the end of 2021. They are not going to bring themselves there. Obviously we all know that some individuals are already taking it upon themselves to seek support, to seek help insofar as their suffering is concerned. So you might get lucky because maybe on your team, you've got one or two people that have purposely chosen to take care of their mental health. And so those are the individuals that regardless of how you speak, they're going to move themselves forward. But that is like, you know, taking a chance because in general, people today, unlike what most would like to think, they're not seeking this kind of help because distractibility and this habit is true. They're not purposely choosing to get the help that they need. So you, you, you actually put yourself at a disadvantage as a leader by not giving yourself an opportunity to practice. And I would also go so far as to say to those leaders, watch what happens to you through the practice, through the coming together, through the sense of belongingness. What is going to happen to you is you in your own brain, you are soothing yourself you are actually allowing some healing to take place that you may not even know needs to take place, but it will take place. Okay, so walk me through this idea about, what I think I'm hearing is leaders need to have a very 
big dose of empathy and compassion present uh, for their team to kind of transcend these circumstances and get on with work. Um, and so to allow our humanity to show up, but let's just like take it to the extreme, right? We've got a cliche, uh, master's degree in aeronautical engineering, running a team of other engineers. They don't do touchy feely stuff. They didn't <laughs> grow up in a household of touchy feely stuff. How do you become and practice compassion with your team if that hasn't, wasn't modeled for you and you're not very experienced with it? So excellent question. And it is true. You know, I often hear leaders say to me, you know, it sounds really good. I've read several books on it, um, but I didn't grow up with parents that were touchy feely. And I really didn't grow up with parents that told me how important I was. They didn't tell me at all that they even loved me. I, I know they love me, but they've never said this to me. And I've always surrounded myself with people that just don't express this kind of stuff. So yeah, I've read great books, but I, they say to me, I don't feel comfortable and B, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Okay. It is true from an evolutionary point of view that we have, we already have, we are built for a soothing approach to ourselves. So we have a soothing system. It is in our brain and it does get influenced through kindness through people that show us love, compassion, and we feel it. And that releases oxytocin that makes us feel at peace, makes us feel that there's a sense of love. There's loving kindness around me. Fine. You may not have experienced it earlier on. It doesn't mean that you don't have access to it. It doesn't mean that you cannot trigger that sense of belongingness. However, it's true. If you don't know where to start, everything feels foreign. Everything feels unnatural. And it's okay. It's through the sense of feeling unnatural that you will overcome this emotion that tells you, oh, you look awkward. It looks really weird what you're doing. That's all part of the process. See it as part of the process. Shift your mind saying, this is going to feel extremely awkward. I know it already, but I have to practice. And the first approach to practice call it whatever you want. I refer to it as compassionate attention is let's start by Jotting down, you know, the engineer in you knows how to jot things down, knows how to trace, knows how to track. Start tracking. Where does your attention go? Track it insofar as categories are concerned. So now, you know, you kind of bring out the researcher in me because that's what I would do. I'd create a time, you know, a sheet, an Excel spreadsheet. I track all of my distractions. I then categorize them. That would be the first experience. I would share that experience with my team. I'd have them do it. And then we would compare categories. How many categories do we have? I've got one that has kids and, and pets. What do you have? And so on. So that's the first bonding opportunity. And people are going to say, really? You get distracted by stuff like that? So do I. And so now we begin tapping into the soothing system. You don't have to even say that's what you're doing so that people are not going to say, what on earth are you talking about? But it's happening. And then from there, you move into compassionate thinking. Compassionate thinking has everything to do with thoughts. So a thought pops, it's just a mental event. It's not going to make you burn in your chair. And now you teach, not through the act of actual facilitation, but in conversation, you can actually tell your team, you know, as we start to plan what our week is going to look like, let's also have fun with what our, you know, what, what our self-critical person in us says. Oh, I can't do that. Let's, let's you know, have have an ongoing uh, check of all the things that come up in our heads. Let's just put them, let's park them. And at the end of your session on strategy, 
Take a look at all the things you've told yourself. Those are all mental events. And then make a choice as a team. You go, so we're going to buy into this mental event that says we can't do this? I don't think so. Okay, next. Are we going to buy into this mental event that says, well, yeah, you know, come to the end of the year where, you know, some of us are going to get fired. Someone put out that thought. Are we going to buy into it? Oh, we're not. Okay, check. The act of doing that obviously is going to create quite, people are going to giggle, people are going to laugh. But there's some truth to that because all they are are mental events. And the choice is, do we buy into it or not? Now, there's going to be maybe a mental thought that everyone goes, ooh, I don't know about that. We need to really consider it. Consider it as an obstacle. Turn it into an opportunity. How are we going to move forward? Opportunity, obstacle. Let's have a look here. Let's put all our minds together. So if you start just with these two, know now that you are slowly but surely because you know the soothing system runs on very short uh, bursts of, 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 of attention and acknowledgement but over time it's cumulative so over time you get the impact start there and watch what happens right and, and don't use any fancy words just do the distraction exercise do the you know catching the mental thoughts and deciding as a team if you buy into it and if you just do that that is good enough. And then for those who are more creative, we can go on to the third one. <laughs> Which is? So the third one is the compassionate behaviors. So those are the ones that sometimes people say, oh, I don't know about that. That's the one that has everything to do with self-care. That's the one that says, okay, we're going to end our day Friday, three o'clock. And from three to five, you can join in as we talk about our hobbies. And our, or, you know, three to five, we've got like smaller groups that meet based on hobbies right? You could do that. So that's self-care behavior. Another self-care behavior is asking everyone over the weekend, what are they going to do to take care of themselves and their families? If that is what's really important to them as well, comes into the conversation. And then come Monday morning, we all share. So that's another way in which you're um, encouraging actions toward the self that have everything to do with taking care of the self. Um, another uh, behavior that obviously takes a little bit more of you is to make it part of your um, communication. So when you communicate to people, regardless of where they find themselves, whether they are accomplishing everything that week or not, acknowledge the progress. Actually use words that let them know that you notice them. You notice that even though they struggled, they did get somewhere at the end of the week. They accomplished three out of five, that's great. So that's also another way that people could do that. And last, the one that scares everyone is meditation. Because people think that I can't meditate, my, 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 my thoughts don't stop. Well, guess what? Meditation was never intended to get your thoughts to stop. Your thoughts are never going to stop. As long as you've got this great, magnificent human brain, your thoughts are going to go on. Meditation is all about noticing your thought, returning to your breath. Noticing your thought, returning to your breath. That's practice. And doing that practice over the course of time builds compassion as well. So one of the things that you said that really was for me an aha moment was to reframe the idea of a thought into a mental, what did, you didn't call it an action, a mental, a mental event, event, a yes, a mental event, because then you can see it like in a neutral way without feeling yes. completely attached or beholden to it. Oh, I yes. love that. 
Yes. And the other thing that you're kind of suggesting in all of this is, and this is the hard work of people and, you know, being a leader and, and managing people, leading people, is that humans have the competencies and the skills to deliver on the job, but there are complex human beings. That whole organism, including all of the emotions that we have that drive us largely, that, you know, we obsess over, all of that has to get some space and some airing out so that yes. the other stuff can emerge, right? Yes, 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 yes. And you know what's interesting, if I can also add one more. Leaders are not voted in their position. I know this always grabs people the wrong way, but no one is voted in their position of VP, right? There's a few people that have decided this is for you. This is a promotion. Do you accept it or not? But the team that surrounds you, they didn't vote you in. This is your way of getting voted in. This is your way of being accepted where people are going to say things about you differently. They're not going to say, oh, I work for her. I work with her. Oh, I so much desire to be in her presence. And when people speak this way, it isn't because you're superhuman. It's because you are being human. You are letting them know that you notice them, you recognize them, you acknowledge them. And you know that they are more than just their failures, more than just their experiences, that the process of who they are is so important to you. And so if there's anything that I can encourage people to really consider is you have not been voted in your position. Get voted in by really connecting with people where they need you most now. Otherwise, 2021 is going to come around and we don't know what's going to happen and and if you stay in that mindset, you're probably going to go back to the same tools that you've learned that have worked, that obviously still can work, but not on their own anymore. Not on their own. Now, Marilla, before we got on the phone together, we did not plan to wear this like blue. Yes. Okay. So we were just uh, <laughs> guided by the, the the fashion color gods or goddesses. Um, yes. I know that you've probably given some thought to what you wanted to share today. And we've had a really beautiful and intense conversation for the last plus 30 minutes. Is there anything that you would like to offer that we haven't had the chance to talk about that you think might serve any listener or viewer um, about anything uh, that we've, we've chatted about or thinking about 2021? Yes. Yeah, so I discovered recently that the odds of being born is one in 400 trillion. That's just the odds of being born. And it, it, it always catches me. It always catches me whenever I say it out loud. So if that is the odds of being born, just being born. Can you imagine what are the odds of you and I being here today? I can't even begin to give that a number. And, and, if, and, and if you could just rest for a moment in that recognition, then why would you limit yourself to only the skills that have made you who you think you are today that feel comfortable? Why would you limit yourself to that? When the odds of you being here today is so much more, so much more. And you have an opportunity now to discover so many other parts that also are you. To me, that is where we should all aim in 2021. We should all aim there. We should all go in there, in that direction. 
So I'm hearing you say, live, step into your potential, be expansive yes. with your dreams yes. and, and yes. Uh, go big. Go big, go big, go the compassionate way. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much for spending part of your afternoon today and closing up Purposeful Empathy for 2020. I wish all of you who've watched and listened to our podcasts over the last year, thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you again next year. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so much, Anita, for having me. Bye, everyone. Bye.